Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at you, savings coming at you. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and infertility. Today's show will be on the myths surrounding only children. We're a weekly radio show, podcast, and to make sure that you automatically hear about each episode, subscribe to our show at either iTunes or on the radio page of our site, creatingafamily.org slash radio show. I'm Dawn Davenport. I'm the director of Creating a Family. We're a nonprofit providing education and support for adoption and infertility, and you can find us online at creatingafamily.org. The Creating a Family radio show is proud to say that we are underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. For many patients, cost is a barrier to pursuing fertility treatment. That's why Faring is now offering a savings card for their endometrin vaginal inserts. The savings card can offer up to $50 savings each month on your endometrin prescription for eligible patients. You can ask your doctor for more details and to figure out um, whether or not you are eligible. This, this show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support of our gold sponsors, including like Nightlight Christian Adoptions. They've been providing adoption services for more than 50 years with offices in California, Colorado, South Carolina, and Kentucky. They provide international domestic foster and embryo donation services uh, throughout the United States. As I mentioned, today we're going to be talking about the myths surrounding only children. Our guest is Lauren Sandler. She is the author of One and Only, The Freedom of Having an Only Child and the Joy of Being One. I will also say that Lauren is both an only child and the mother of an only child. Welcome, Lauren, to Creating a Family. I'm so happy to be here. I enjoyed the book. I enjoyed it very much, in fact. Um, so we're going to just dive in because you are uh, – well, first of all, uh, let me explain a little to both you and to our audience. This topic was suggested by um, one of this uh, – in the fall, we booked by the quarter. We booked the show by the quarter. And in the fall, I went out uh, uh, to our – we have an extensive uh, both online and, 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 and in person – well, not so much in person, but online audience – and I went out to the audience and said, uh, "Tell us what you would like topics. What co- topics you would like covered? I'm tired of thinking of all the topics here. You know, you help us out." And we got a huge response. And uh, so the, the great thing is that I'm just going down the list now, booking shows. And one of the topics that more than one person suggested was the issue of only children. Now, as you heard. In our intro, this show uh, is focused on adoption and infertility. Uh, in other words, people who have struggled to create a family. And, you know, it hadn't, it really, I don't know why, but it hadn't really hit me. But, of course, the issue of having an only child is up front and center to our audience because um, if you've struggled uh, to get pregnant, um, you have to think in terms of whether or not you, number one, want to go through the the physical and the emotional issues associated with another round of IVF or donor egg or surrogacy, or the same with adoption. And you have to think through whether or not you can afford to go through it, because neither adoption nor infertility are cheap. 
so in fact there were there are a lot of people in our audience who are wrestling with the idea of should I try again? Should I roll the dice again? Can I afford to do that? Am I doing a disservice to my child if I don't? Am I doing a disservice to myself if I don't? So anyway, this is I, I was so thankful because I had not thought of this topic and the, what the seven years we've been doing the show, no one in our staff has thought of this topic, but sure enough, our audience came up with it. So anyway, Lauren, let's dive and right I in. I just want to add, isn't it amazing that people have to deal with such barriers in order to be so intentional about their families? I mean, the oh, notion, yeah. everything that you just listed, all of that does and should apply to people who can just get pregnant in a second. And yet, you know, this automatic opting into larger families is such a cultural norm. The notion of creating a family, I love the name of your show, with that sort of intentionality is something that I think really has become the province of people who have barriers to easily creating a family. And yet I think that that makes them some of the greatest, most intentional families out there. Well, they certainly are most intentional, but I, w- I will grant you that, 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 or I will bet you that most of them wish that they didn't have to be so damn intentional. Of course, <laughs> so, of course. You know, but nonetheless, <laughs> you're right in the sense that um, I think that it is easier uh, that if you didn't have to think about the issues of, of can I afford it? Is it what am I doing to my body? What am I doing to my marriage? You know, going through the the ups and downs, the roller coasters of both infertility and adoption. So for our audience, it is up front and center um, mm-hmm. that they have to uh, they have to want it really bad. But they also, I think, often wrestle with the same thing. Other and, and your book pointed it out so well. The 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 prejudice is that if you were if you make the decision to have just one child or even even contemplating that decision society has a voice in that uh and uh whether they should i think we would all say they shouldn't but they do you talk about even um I laughed about the, I can't remember where you were, but you were talking about it in the book. You were someplace just like at a coffee shop or something. And, and, and you, you have one child, a daughter, and, and, uh, people were, uh, the, the waitress was admiring her. And even, even she felt free to voice in that, uh, that you were making a mistake when you, when she asked when you were going to have others, and you said you probably weren't. Oh, God, uh, I get it in the subway. I get it in the supermarket. I mean, I think it's something yeah. so familiar to so many of us with one. You know, the notion is, is that, yeah. that, that, you know, that everyone feels like they need to be child services. They need to prevent you from screwing up your kid in that way. And, of course, there's nothing behind that assumption at all except just a lot of cultural mythology. Well, let's talk about the mythology. First of all, let's just kind of – I want you to just rattle off some of the myths. Um, and then we're going to talk about the myths, but the, after you rattle them off, I kind of want to dig into deeper because I found that really fascinating. Where do these myths come from? Because there's almost like some pseudoscience or maybe science, I shouldn't say. Well, I'll let you say, um, uh, surrounding these myths. But first, rattle off uh, the top, say, five myths associated with only children. Well, I say the main thing is that only children, and I will often say we when I talk about only children because I am one, that we are lonely, selfish, we can't make friends, we can't share, we're narcissists. I mean, I think that everyone probably knows how to answer that question on their own because they're so widespread. Um, I mean, this is how widespread they are. If you go on the Guardian website today, the newspaper, the international newspaper that's out of the U.K., and you read their wrap-ups for girls, 
the headline today is only child and um and the lead says you know did anyone doubt that this character was not an only child have you ever seen a more selfish character on television it's like oh really because i can quote you about 500 studies that prove that only children are not more selfish than anyone else and yet that can get past an editor at you know at one of the best newspapers in the world. This is how ingrained it is. You know, when I was trying to think through uh, if 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 we could summarize the myths, they seem to fall down on the lines of lonely, selfish, and burdened. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, and I, there, there are probably some others. That's all I just trying to really simplify, not to because I you know I think narcissist. I throw that into selfish. Can't share. Yep. I throw that into selfish. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but so I mean, there are probably some others, uh, and no doubt our audience will tell me tomorrow. But <laughs> um, let's. Uh, in fact, um, I am going to blog on this tomorrow. So for anybody listening, and Lauren, you as well, I would love to have your comments. I I um, there's a BuzzFeed video on. Uh, Oh shoot! What was the title? Uh, signs you uh, uh, you know you're an only child when or, or signs you grew up as an only child in the video. Really it's funny. Yeah, it's funny. I'm gonna I'm gonna embed it in the blog tomorrow so you can check it out there. Uh, it's funny and it's not. Uh, it, it was interestingly not. Uh, um, it didn't necessarily buy you. Well, watch it tomorrow on the on the blog and you'll see. It didn't actually buy into them. Uh, and in fact, it showed a little bit. Uh, it turned a few of them on their head in a very subtle way. It's an, it's interesting. It was because uh, I w- was researching online just exactly as you, I didn't see the Guardian thing, but I was just trying to get kind of a feel of the zeitgeist going on about uh, if, if, seeing if anything had changed. Your book came out this year. I was hoping maybe it had made major inroads, but <laughs> it's an Im- it's a, it's a deeply embedded uh, myth. Where do yeah. these myths come from? Because I think that. Most people who say, uh, who are concerned uh, about the mental health and the burden and everything else associated with being an only, uh, believe there is scientific support for that. So uh, certainly there are there are studies out there. So tell us about what the studies are and where they come from. Well. I actually think that the myth goes way back before um, we knew anything about scientific studies. I, I think that it's something that, you know, had a Darwinian basis because the more members of your species you had, the more likely you were to continue the species. And then as we became human and as we started needing to gather and hunt um you know the larger your tribe the better chance you had at surviving and then we became an agrarian community and people needed to farm and your family was your workforce and if you didn't have a good workforce you weren't going to survive that way and so these things got really embedded um but then of I course mean, I'm so glad you brought that the historic People with only children and only children were pitied in the past because I'm thinking in terms of the agrarian society, even mm-hmm. not that long ago, let's think in the uh, in the 1940s, 50s, and, and maybe even into the 1960s, or maybe further, I don't know. seems like with modern uh, agriculture now, probably less of an issue. But you're, if a family only could, could only have one child – that child uh, was 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 burdened. I mean, there were, and the family was as well in the sense of their children were part of their workforce. So yeah, Absolutely. it comes from yeah, 
Absolutely. Um, and I, mean, I think that, that it changed around the Industrial Revolution a little earlier than that. And then, of course, there was the advent of women working. Um, and that changed things radically. And so, obviously, our society doesn't look anything like it did back when we depended on our children as a workforce. You know, now we think of our kids as what they cost us and not what they earn us if we're going to look at an economic model. Of course, that's not how many people really think about children, although you're right. If you're thinking about adoption or infertility, I mean, I think about what a second kid would cost me, and as far as I know, those aren't issues that I have to deal with right now. It, it of course, compounds it so radically. So that whole model flipped, and at the same time, you know, women wanted more freedom. Women wanted to work or needed to work. Women wanted to do more with their lives than domestic drudgery and child rearing and and that really freaked a lot of people out you know there was a lot of pushback against what women's role should be there still is we have you know not even begun to bury this conversation and i think that you know the notion of having more children was a way to keep women in their place and to keep people much more comfortable with what a woman's role should be. And so I think it's a really complicated cultural situation where we have a lot of history, we have a lot of anxiety, and we have a society that hasn't come up with really good answers, so we keep telling this story. What is really interesting is that for the past 80 years, there have been hundreds and hundreds of studies done about who only children are. There have been longitudinal studies. There has been data gathered. Every aspect of personality has been measured and assessed. And with the, you know, literally over 500 studies, with the exception of maybe two or three, they all say that only children are not worse off than kids with siblings, that they aren't more selfish, that they are just as good at making friends. And in fact, only children tend to be higher achievers. They tend to be more intellectually gifted. We tend to rank alongside oldest borns when it comes to success. Um, and then we tend to rank alongside everyone else when it comes to social development. So it is really interesting to see how little basis there is for this stereotype. And the um, you talk about a study that was done, I believe you said like in the 1920s or something, that seemed to feed the um, – it was picked up and, and well-traveled um, through you know, the media and, and, and through the popular culture. Um, about uh, uh, showing the negative, I mean, quite negative, actually. Um, uh, his, I think it was a, a man, duh, back in the Oh, yeah, can I, I yeah. love talking about it. Do you mind if I talk about it? So there was this, no, there was this man named, named Granville Stanley Hall, and he was, yeah, I couldn't he remember was the, the name, Granville. father of the, yeah. I know, it, it, he really, like, you know, he's got a squinty eye and a white mustache, and you can imagine him with his pocket watch. He was the head of the American Psychological Association yes. before we had any reasonable ways of studying psychology Freud came to the U.S. at his invitation. He was a major figure in society. He had study groups devoted to his teachings all over the country. It's funny that he isn't a name that we know now because he was such a big deal um, at the turn of the century. But the thing that he is most known for is a study that he did on peculiar and exceptional children in which he very famously said, yes, peculiar is such a chilling word. And, you know, he very famously said, only children are a disease 
in and of themselves. I think I'm slightly misquoting that, but I can promise you the word disease is in the middle of that sentence. But, you know, he's someone who grew up in a big family in rural Massachusetts, and like many people, he believed that what made him happy should make everyone else happy. So he didn't make these assessments based on any sort of measurement. He made them based on his own opinions, which, as we all know, isn't science. Later on, another psychologist who had developed some methods in the 30 years since took this idea to task, and what he found was that it had no basis, a guy named Norman Fenton in the 20s. And after that, people kept rediscovering this, pushing it again and again, and they do to this day. I mean, there's a very famous narcissism researcher named Jean Chwenge. I think I'm pronouncing that right. She's incredibly smart, but she dusts off the narcissistic personality inventory every three years to run only children through it because she cannot believe that only children would be less narcissistic than everyone else. And in fact, she keeps finding it. But it is one of these things that even for really serious researchers, it is so hard to accept that the myth isn't true. I think in part because we all know only children who are selfish, and we all know only children who have a hard time making friends. But you know what? We also know kids with siblings who are like that too, and we don't explain them in that way. So it is one of these funny things where, you know, we tell stories about ourselves. And let's see, if you have gay parents, that might be a story that you tell about why you are who you are. Or if you're overweight, or, you know, there are all of these different ways that that we understand the totality of ourselves. And if you're an only child, you probably understand it in terms of being an only child, when in fact you may not be exceptional for those reasons, and that may not explain all of you. It probably doesn't. A lot of things build us. It is. We've done a number of shows here on nature versus nurture, uh, and, um, and a couple of them. Well, one in particular, we had the the two leading researchers of the uh, of the two major twin studies that are going on in the United States, they they approach it from different angles. Um, but it's fascinating to me. Um, and, and for our audience, I would strongly uh, recommend that you check out those shows. They, they're they absolutely fascinating. What we think of as both heritable as well as environmental, it's, it's such a mesh, and it's so not. Uh, it, uh, so much of our temperament, um, it, it does come genetically. I mean, our basic and inherent temperament. Um, now, our environment does influence that, um, but uh, a terribly gregarious, uh, outgoing, extroverted person, I would imagine, um, is going to be that way regardless of whether they uh, grow up with siblings or without. So that's why I become more and more like my mother every year. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it could be a blessing or a curse. Yeah, <laughs> I think most of us would say that. Regardless if we uh, if we have genetic connections to our mother or not, I think many of us would say we become more like our mothers, um, regardless of how we uh, joined the family. Um, but, but there you go. What does that say? Is that genetics or is that environment? You know, uh, doesn't answer something either way. Let me uh, take a moment to thank a few more of our sponsors and to remind you that it is through your, their support that we can bring you this show as well as all the resources we offer at creatingafamily.org. 
um, as well. And, and so when you support them, you support us. Uh, we have Fairfax Cryobank. They have been a leader in sperm donation for over 25 years and are dedicated to supplying updated, verified, and accurate medical and personal information on their donors. And we also have independent adoption centers. Their mission is to provide open adoption placement and counseling to birth and adoptive families. They work with families in all 50 states and are fully licensed in California, New York, Florida, Texas, well, quite frankly, more than that. That's old. So they have, they're fully licensed in a number of states. All right, now back to uh, Lauren, our discussion on, we're talking today about uh, the myths surrounding only children. All right, so we, we now know what some of the myths are, and we know where they they come from. Or, or, you know, and I love that you go back from the, it, it goes all the way back, you know, almost for survival of the species. Um, but yet we do, um, we do progress past that. We have a uh, uh, an email question from Annie. Annie uh, has one child through adoption and is not sure that, as, as I discussed before, she says both financially and emotionally, she's not sure she's up for having another one. But she worries about what she calls sibling envy. Her daughter, her child is a daughter, uh, wanting, and she says her daughter does ask for a for a sibling, and she very much thinks that she should provide a sibling for her child. So let's talk about sibling envy, because I think that is a real thing. You were oh, an only child. And I child. so relate to it. I do yeah, so relate to it. Did you grow up? I, I, everybody well, I know who is an only child at some point has wished that they had, I mean, just like some of us always, well, probably most of us wished we had a twin, I think that uh, uh, only children often wish to have a sibling. Did you find that in any of your research, and did it apply to you personally? Well, for me personally, it's funny. As when I was a kid, I loved being an only child. It was when I was an adolescent, and honestly, like even in moments into my thirties, that I, you know, it was really dealing with the conflict that arises in a family, in every family, where I thought, "Wow, I really could use, you know, a teammate, or I could really mm-hmm. use someone to be the bad kid." So I don't always have to be the bad kid, you know, as yeah. a, as a distraction to take some of that that focus off me. So during those times, I wanted it. I didn't really as a kid. But my daughter, who is turning six next week, she is someone who would love to be a big sister. And she would be a great big sister. Um, And she has lots of friends who are big sisters or little sisters. And she feels like that's unfair. And I really see why she feels that. But I also know what advantages she has. And I know what the downsides of it might be just through so much research and you know it's hard because you feel it on a very visceral level when your kid asks for that and sees a discrepancy between her or his family and other kids but I think that that's why information is really helpful and that's you know a lot of why I wrote this book is to really help people understand what the advantages are that we don't talk about in our society, what the very specific trials are of having an only child family that we tend not to talk about. We tend to just sort of draw lines between good or bad. You pick a team, um, which I think is never a helpful way to think about anything, and especially not this. So because
because I have all of this information in my head about the advantages for her, about the downsides statistically of having siblings, and about how my life would be different and therefore my relationship with her would be different, my husband's relationship with her would be different. That has given me a lot of support, which I have needed internally for myself to feel like I can be strong in whatever choice I might make and also to figure out how to communicate some of that to her in a way that's appropriate for a kindergartner to see that, you know, what she fantasizes about wouldn't really be the reality and that what she has is pretty spectacular. So it's funny. We go through periods where she really wants it and periods where she seems to kind of forget about it. And, you know, I love having our neat little tight family. We're very close and we get to do a lot of things we wouldn't do otherwise and there's a lot of intimacy and freedom in it and those are things that I see her enjoying every day and that to me is the best reassurance. When you explain, I assume you explain it to her in terms of that. These are the things we would we get to do that we might not get to do if we had more children. Uh, does she get that or is on, on an emotional level that really isn't where a five-year-old, six-year-old is, is going to be at? She gets that at times, um, and I remind her of it at times, you know, certain very like when you're doing something special really moments. <laughs> yeah, or even when, yeah. you know, when she has a day of my undivided attention. Um, and then, you know, the next day we'll go to a friend's house and the br- the brother and sister will be fighting and she'll be a little weirded out by it, and I'll say, I just want to point this out to you. They have a lot of good times together. They're also having this right now, so remember that. Remember that it's not how we idealize things all the time. Um, I don't use the word idealize, but I think that there are moments in which we can sort of say, look, here's reality. Let's think about reality a little bit. Or even when she's just snuggling alone in bed with me or with me and my husband and it feels so special, you know, there are moments to just say, I'm just so happy it's just you and just us so we can have this special time together and that we don't have to share this intimacy with someone. And I think that that being able to say, I just, you know, whether it is a choice or not, being able to say, we just love you. You are our kid. This is all we want. This is all we need. We don't need anything else. Look at how special this is. To celebrate it. It's something that has so much negativity that clings to it. And frankly, there is so much joy and closeness to celebrate that I think that it's really up to us to make it more positive in the culture and in our families. I wanted to raise an issue that I have a number of friends who uh, are only children, and I'm older than you, and and so and my friends are are my age, and we're moving into the and and one in particular's parents had her when she was uh, when they were considerably older, so she is now facing um, significant health issues uh for uh both of her parents and in fact her parents are divorced so she is they don't even have each other although their health issues are significant enough that they probably would not have been able to support each other even if they had still been married and and it, one of the oh. things that she says yeah but one of the things that she says a lot is i so wish i had somebody to, to tag team with she said i feel i i feel like i'm carrying and she is of course uh, uh, carrying it all on her shoulders. Uh, 
And I, I have you. Th- I'm sure you have thought about this. How does that? Uh, uh, and, I, and I know that other uh, people who are considering it. One of the things they say is, "I want." Uh, they usually don't say it in terms of their own health. They say it in terms of, "I want when I'm gone, I want my child to still have family, or I, uh, I want my child to have, uh, you know, adult sibling, you know, that type of thing." Um, what do you think about on that uh, that, uh, that concern? Well, okay, so those are a number of things. The first one, um, let's talk about the, the sort of health and aging of parents first. So I'm going to repeat something that I, I know you read in the book, um, but I do find myself using this language, so forgive me if you've heard it before. But no, no, but other people haven't. I, this, I is what I call, this is what I call the Greek tragedy of only childhood. Um, and I write about how... I found lots of reassuring statistics that, you know, even in really terrific, tight, big families, it is almost always the closest residing daughter who takes on the lion's share of the burden. I have read studies on the amount of conflict that erupts between siblings when dealing with parents' illness and death. You know, I've read lots of stuff that should really reassure me. It doesn't somehow cross the threshold into my emotional reality. Um, This is the thing that I, as a parent and as as an only child myself, can't Mm -hmm. reconcile. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really understand why other people say that and why other people um, make choices based on this. And this is one of these things where if it is a choice for you, if you feel like it is worth bringing another child into the world um, or bringing another child into your family so that during that tough decade your first kid has support, that's a choice mm-hmm. that you can make. Um, that to me is a really tough calculation because people do get through it and people do have different support networks. Um, you know, well, let me tell you my, what my mother my... was diagnosed with an illness in the past few weeks, and as an only child, I was amazed at the old friends, my husband, my in-laws, I mean, my sister-in-law, the number of people who were there to be family for me. It's something I've been mm-hmm. dreading for years, and bam, I had family. So mm-hmm. I think that part of it, too, is how we think about family. And this gets to the second part of what you were talking about, you know, wanting to have family after your parents are gone, wanting to have adult siblings. I understand that too. The fact is a lot of people do not get along with their adult siblings. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have an enormous amount of conflict and don't share what we idealize. And I think that one thing that we need to be a little open to is that the notion of family is changing and becoming so much more fluid. Um, and that if one can really support a kid to have strong relationships the way that only children tend to um, exceedingly just to begin with, because we really tend to find our own families, we tend to nurture our own sibling-like relationships with friends, we tend to have intense friendships that last over a lifetime. If we can consider those people our family, then we have family. Um So it's a question, I think, of how one defines those things and how comfortable one can be with those compromises because the fact is no family is perfect, no choice is perfect, everything is a sacrifice, and this is one of the tough things that only children have to deal with. 
You know, and what I I uh, I, I will tell my friend when she is uh, venting, and, and as well she should be venting. Um, you know the, and you mentioned this. I also know a number of people who are uh, in, having been raised with siblings who are struggling with care for older parents. But, in, but yes, they have others who are struggling with them. They have siblings who are struggling with them. But by the same token, they don't always agree. And then, so it added on top, they've got the disagreement issues and the, and the stress that that brings Right, and and that's a real stress because you're vulnerable at that moment. So you want to make a decision, and and if all don't agree, then you've got the the, the bickering, and it goes on. So it goes back to I think that we tend to idealize the choice, the, the situation we're not in. You know, the old grass is always greener bit. So you know, I think that it's easy to say when you're going through a hard time, you know, that that your your lot is worse because you're going through it. But the other side is not always great either, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, in an ideal world, it's the you know where where everybody is pulling together and they're tag teaming and and there's no conflict and there's no strife. But I don't know how often that happens, even though we all hope it is going to be us. You're listening to Creating a Family today. We're talking about the myths of only children. Our guest is. Lauren Sandler. She is the author of One and Only, The Freedom of Having an Only Child and the Joy of Being One. Creating a Family, by the way, has the largest adoption and infertility community infertility communities on the social networks, and we would love to have you join us. On Twitter, you can connect with us at Creating a Family. On Facebook, there are three ways. You can connect with me personally, Davenport one You can like our Facebook page, which is, of course, Creating a Family. And you can join the Creating a Family Facebook support group. The best way to find the last two, the page or the group, is to just type in the words Creating a Family in the search box. You can like the page and join the group. Uh, the group is a closed group, but we will let you in. It's a very supportive place, and I encourage everyone to join. All right, so I think that um, we've talked about the fact that there are a lot of myths, but you have read more research than anybody I know, and I, our audience uh, already knows this about me, but I am a research geek. I truly <laughs> I can't help it. You get me a peer-reviewed journal, and I am in ecstasy. I relate. Uh, yeah, I know. You know, it's the uh, well. Who knows? It's there's you know there's probably twelve step groups for us. But uh, anyway, uh, so are there measurable differences? Now you've already mentioned that that selfishness, narcissism, or whatever is not one of them. But it would be hard for me to imagine that there wouldn't be some differences between the the the, the large population. If you're comparing large populations of of children, people raised without siblings. And, and people raised with siblings. Have you been able to find any? This is neither negative nor positive, but just some things we notice. The only things that have been statistically measured in hundreds of studies around the world are that only children tend to um, demonstrate higher intellectual aptitude, higher levels of, of achievement, and higher levels of confidence. And the confidence one is just over the line of being statistically significant. So, I mean, that is what is so fascinating to me about this is the discrepancies are all good news, um, which doesn't mean that there are no selfish and lonely only children. It just means that 
it's just not different than the rest of the population. And the places mm-hmm. in which we do tend to be different tend to be around success and achievement, um, which you would think would make people feel really good about having only one kid. Um, in terms of the the lack of discrepancy around loneliness, this is something that I think about a lot and really resonated with me. Um, well, I mean, first of all, we as a society, when we see someone alone, we think of them as being lonely. We tend not to think in terms of solitude, which is positive. We tend to think in terms of loneliness. Um, but the reason that only children are often counterintuitively, I guess, less lonely than other people is that we tend to have a stronger primary relationship with ourselves. So, you know, if you can be your own best friend, then it's really hard to get lonely. It doesn't mean we don't get lonely. It's, you know, the basic fact of the human condition. But if we are not dependent upon having other people around us when people will not be around us all the time, it's a lot harder to get lonely. Um, So that coupled with the fact that only children tend to really intentionally develop very close relationships and hold on to them and really nurture them, that then, of course, complicates the notion that we're selfish and can't make friends. We tend to have really strong relationships, and when we're not around those relationships, we tend to have a really strong relationship with ourselves. So um, with ourselves, I should say. So it's interesting to sort of look under the cover of why it is that that some of these stereotypes don't check out. Um, the, the notion that we're selfish is actually very related to what it takes to maintain those relationships. The, our lack of selfishness is really related to the fact that we don't have that automatic kid in our family who, no matter how crappy we treat them, is going to have to show up for dinner with us at night. We know that relationships need to be nurtured. We know that we have to be generous, that we have to be forgiving, that we have to be empathic, because anyone who's going to be around us has to opt into it. There isn't that, you know, automatic sentencing that, you know, you will love your brother for the rest of your life, and even if you don't, you're still going to have to sit down for Thanksgiving with him. You know, we we really know that those are things that need to be developed carefully. And because of that, that is why I believe we are less selfish. There's a lot of psychological research behind this. Um, and it makes sense to me. You know, there's still, I know plenty of only children myself who talk about themselves a lot and it drives me crazy. <laughs> you know, there there are little bits of observable habit, but I don't know that they necessarily statistically add up to anything in the data. What about the, uh, it, just a difference, and this is more anecdotal and it's it's, it's not a negative, but I, uh, of my, uh, of the children that I know who are, or my kids are, are, are teens and, and, and beyond, so in that age, who are only children, they seem to be, how I would say is more adult-oriented. But uh, another way to say that is they can carry on a good conversation with adults because they have mm-hmm. been, I mean, in an, an adult, they're often included in adult conversations. They know to, uh, they're less awkward in adult company. Maybe that's another way to say it. Has, has that been anything that you have noticed or that you have seen in any of the discussions or yes. research you've looked at? Absolutely, and that checks out everywhere. Um that only children tend to be more comfortable with adults and other kids. But there's actually an interesting aspect of that, which is um, 
It's also considered to be part of the high achievement, high success rate, high success rate of only children is related to the fact that um, when you are raised in a family that isn't like half or majority kids, the language around you is more adult. And the number of yeah. words that are spoken individually to each child, you know, gets divided the more kids are in a family. So if mm-hmm. you have two kids, then each kid gets half the words automatically directed to them. It's just one of those resources that we we tend to think about, you know, time or money. We don't think about the number of words spoken or whether those words are child words or adult words. But it is such an interesting bit of data that part of why we tend to be more successful is because we have more adults speaking directly to us in adult language more of the time. And that develops our verbal skills, that develops our interpersonal Personal relationships, and, and actually, there's uh, research uh, on, on in general on on uh, children who succeed in school, um, and it's uh, they talk about whether it's a child's been read to or whatever, and mm-hmm. and there's a lot of research that shows that actually the most important thing is the number of words that are spoken to the child by the time they reach school age, uh, and that uh, and that there's some distinctions on socioeconomic levels, maybe in part because of of families being stressed. And, and and you know having to work uh, long hours so there just aren't as many mm-hmm. adults. But that research would uh, I haven't thought of it in terms of of the number of children in the family. But that's what you're speaking of. I, I would take it yeah. exactly. And it's also why only children tend to have a lot in common statistically with oldest kids because. Frankly, oldest kids are only children until they have a younger sibling. And so that's where that equals out a little bit more. During those preschool years when you have all that undivided attention, you have all those words spoken to you, you're sitting alone in your parents' lap being read a book. Um, That Mm -hmm. is so important when it comes to verbal development, when it comes to our, our sense of ourselves And it's one of those difficult things. You know, families with more than one kid have to really build in that one-on-one time very intentionally. Um, But for those of us with just one kid, it's very automatic. And I see it. You know, my my kid reads at a ridiculous level in kindergarten. She's off the charts. And I don't just think it's because she's some crazy little genius. I think it's because she has had parents speaking directly to her and reading her a book one-on-one every night ever since she was born. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Oh, she may be bright too. I'm sure she is. There you Maybe go. Maybe she's, she's like, a little bright. Okay, she's yeah. a little bright. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> Let me do a quick shout out to a new sponsor, actually, Bethany Christian Services. They are a global nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering children and families. They are committed to quality social services along the child welfare continuum. Services ranging from pregnancy counseling and family preservation to foster care and adoption. We received this Facebook question from Emily. She says, wow, great show topic. We are expecting our first after five years of infertility, $45,000 in treatment debt, and third trimester on bed rest, unable to work due to pregnancy complications. How do we tell all the family and friends that we just can't go through this again, even if it means our child having to be an only? I feel that it would be selfish to try again with our remaining soul frozen embryo, and we'd rather donate it to a couple in need. Uh, because this is interesting. She does have an embryo. She has one embryo left. So from a cost oh, standpoint, Oh, gosh. I want not- her to just print out a little index card that lists 
the 45 grand, the semester, the trimester out of work and on bread dress. I want her to just have that and keep it in her wallet. And anytime someone gives her a nasty look, I just want her to hand it to them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. She also could argue with that. <laughs> well, you're exactly right. But that would. But there's also a. And she doesn't. I, I'm. I'm the reading the rest of it. She says we can afford one more at this point, but we feel that we should just be grateful for one. Right. Um, Yes. Well, so, and I this mean, is the calculation that we all do is, you know, yeah. is is the notion is that we should do it, and there needs to be such an overarching reason not to, right? And it's right, such a exactly. funny way to think about it that we don't, you know, especially when we think about when we think about the environment, when we think about economic burdens, when we think about all the things that we are wrestling with right now as a people, the notion that we should be automatically having more kids instead of fewer just blows my mind. That the onus is on us to explain why there isn't another one instead of on people to say, listen, this is why I really wanted to have a second or a third or a fourth. And I think that's totally fine, too. I mean, I am someone who really believes there's no one-size-fits-all family, and you should absolutely do what you want to do and what your heart tells you to do. I am not telling people one is the answer. But I do think... You shouldn't have to, to couch in terms... Of if you're choosing now, in, in Emily's case, it may really be the debt and the and the fact of of how difficult the pregnancy has been, and not only that, but the risks of another pregnancy. All of that that may be her reasons. But if her reasons were, you know what, I want to be a, a I want to have just one child. She shouldn't need to throw the uh, right. the debt and the and, and the difficulties and the risk in. It as you point out, it ought to be a a as uh, as equal of a choice as having two children or three children or five children. Right. Um, and I think that that starts within us, that we need to sort of wrestle yeah. with our own questions and defensiveness. And if we can feel more solid about it, we can then project that to the world. But, yeah, I mean, it just makes me want to say, like, look, do we look unhappy to you? No, we look like a happy family. This is what a happy family can look like. We are happy. I love my kid. What is the problem? <laughs> The notion that three isn't a total family is something that Mm -hmm. always blows my mind and that I really wrestle with um, in our larger social conversation because – you know, or even two, if it's someone who is raising a kid as a single parent and just has one. You know, the notion of what a family looks like is so fluid right now in this country. You know, when we're thinking about parents who aren't marrying, who are cohabitating, or gay parents, or the amount of divorce and blended families with stepchildren, there is so much flexibility in redefining the American family right now. But for some reason, you know, this is the one that is unacceptable, and it just blows my mind. Did you, in your research, find any um, um, anything on whether only children are more likely to only have one, and such as where you're at? You were an only child. On whole, you looked at it and said it wasn't a bad way to be raised. In fact, it was pretty darn good. Um, the the pluses over outweigh the minuses. Therefore, I'm going to only have one. Um, or, or is there any evidence out there, any research that would say that that, that is the predominance of only children, or do only children tend to say, you know, I was only one and I wanted more, so I'm going to have more? Well, I should say first, at this moment, I think I'm only going to have one, but I have a few years left to think about it, knock on wood. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure so many of your listeners are saying, yeah, I thought that too. <laughs> 
Um, But, you know, for me, it is not a door which is firmly closed, which I think is part of why I'm so open to all -hmm. these different beautiful choices that you can make within one's family and really being able to articulate the advantages and the beauty of the single child family while understanding it's not the only way. Um, But it's true. Most people tend to have pretty extreme reactions. So, and I think that this is the case also if you grew up in a large family, that you were either really happy with what you you came with or you weren't, and that you will either repeat it because it worked for you or you will say, hell no, I'm not doing that to my kid. Um, So I, I did find that there are a lot of only children who, even if they wrestled with it a bit themselves when it comes time to make that choice, really do see the advantages, not just for kids, but also for parents, for the amount of freedom, for the amount of, you know, ability to be present with their spouse, with their friends, with their work, um, with their community, and really devote themselves to the one kid that they have, that the advantages for parents get a short shrift because we're, you know, like only children, the only thing more selfish than an only child is the parent of an only child, right? The notion that, you know, Mm -hmm. we're denying our kids a sibling out of pure selfishness you know, I, I think that that's the other myth that I really want to try to deflate here because um, because it is such a valid and wonderful way to have a family and raise a kid that I think that it's something that only children tend to be more comfortable with because they got to see how it worked for their own parents. But they also got to see it firsthand for themselves, and it's a compromise that they'll either wrestle with or not. So I, I think that there are people who swing in both directions, but for a lot of only children I have spoken to, it seems like a choice worth replicating. Well, and I, I do think that, I I can't remember where I've read, read this, but it was sometime recently, someone who was, um, uh, I think she was, being they were she, they were interviewing people on Wall Street, uh, women on Wall Street, and, you know, how do you do it all? And, and one of the women said, because you only have one child, <laughs> you know, you know, then you have two parents, and so if you want a, and this, this is her opinion, but if if you want a uh, to have a, a career that means a lot and that you're going to pour your heart and soul into, but also want to be a parent, you have to be very intentional about the number of children you have. I'm not, par- I'm, I'm totally paraphrasing here, but um, so I do think that there is a the, the notion of a career mother um, having only having an only child is is a good way. To balance, I think that is that's kind of the notion she was getting at. Yeah, it's so funny. There's been such a conversation um, in the past year about what it means to have it all and can women have it all. And in that conversation, you never hear people say, "Yeah, you can have it all. Just have one kid." <laughs> but to yeah. me, I, I do think it is the shortest, easiest path to reconciling how one can be dedicated to work, how one can be dedicated to relationships other than motherhood, and how one can also be really present and dedicated with a kid. Um, Which doesn't mean, of course, that that is the answer for everyone, and I know plenty of people who do it with more kids. Um, And I know plenty of people who feel like they have it all with no kids. But in terms of really trying to figure out the math of, you know, modern life and modern work and modern parenting, to me it's the shortcut. 
Yeah, that's a good way to say it, actually. <laughs> um, in our remaining time, I do want to talk about uh, how we raise, if we're, if, we're only, if we're having an only, how do we raise our child to make certain that they are uh, selfless to the extent that children can be, um, and that they they do know how to share, and then quite frankly that they realize that the world does not revolve around them. I, I believe that all of of us who are raising children, this this generation of children, uh, generation Xers, and I'm not sure what to, what your daughter will be, what generation, and they've already named it. I can't remember her generation, but I've got generation Xers. I think that's what they're called. You know, teen, who are currently teens uh, and and early twenties. Um, I think that all of well, our I'm a Gen Xer at 40. Gen Y is the sort of millennial teens. Okay, right millennial, now. millennials. Yeah, I'm yeah, raising millennials. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're right, probably raising a some other. You're gonna Gosh, have another. I think we're gonna run out of letters. Gen Z. Yeah. What's gonna be I'm behind us after Z? <laughs> yeah. Okay. The 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 beef against millennials, uh, and as the parent of, of millennials, I will say. I actually think there's some truth to it, and I think that my generation owns some of this. I, I just heard the phrase uh, about uh, uh, special snowflake. I think that we have raised a generation of special snowflakes, and uh, so I don't think that this is exclusive to only children. Um, but I do think that uh, if you have an only child, at least having more than, than one child gives you an edge on your children not thinking that, that the world revolves around them. Um, so how do you raise? Uh, you can raise only children who are spoiled brats. You can raise two or three kids who are spoil, uh, siblings who are spoiled brats. But what, from your standpoint, are the keys to raising an only child so that uh, they aren't special snowflakes, where the world does not completely revolve around them? <laughs> right. And I'm so glad that you said that about multiple kids and spoiling, because I really do believe that that is a question of parenting instead of something I, inherent in a in a family dynamic. And you know, it is really fascinating to me that we devote so much time um, in the blogosphere and on the radio, you name it, to talking about parenting in every type of family, but we never think about what it means to parent an only child. And there are there are some some things, some little elements of troubleshooting that I think are worth having in mind because it is something to be mindful of. Um, you do have to be very careful about, like with any kid, but especially with an only child, really, really teaching your child solid ethics when it comes to any sort of materialism or, you know, you have to teach your kid how to share resources. And your kid will figure that out with friends in the ways that I was talking about before in terms of nurturing those relationships. But as a parent, especially as a parent who so, so, so desperately wanted your child Child, that you were willing to spend so much money, go through so much bodily invasion, you know, so much emotional trauma. I mean, there are so many people who have struggled so much for that one kid. And, and our entire course, audience is made up of those people. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And of course, of course, you want to give that kid everything in the world if you've been through that. But we have to discipline ourselves as parents. You know, like every time I walk into a kid's store, I see a zillion outfits that would look so cute on my daughter, not that she will let me put her in anything that isn't her idea anymore, and a million games that I think would be so fantastic for her development 
restaurant and a million books that she would love. And I want to take her to every place on earth. You know, I mean, it's just endless for me. If I'm so lucky that I don't make a lot of money, because if I did, I would probably <laughs> fall into this trap where I would just want to just heap it up. Um, mm. We can't do that. We have to stop ourselves from doing that. Um, you know, so my kid wears a lot of hand-me-downs, and my kid knows that a library card is just as valuable as a shelf full of new books, and we're very, very selective about toys and when she gets to have a new toy. And, I mean, they're just things that you have to be really careful about so that your kid learns the value of money and, you know, what limited resources are like. Um, that is part of it. Another part of it is, you know, we think about resources often in terms of of money and sometimes time. We tend to not think about it in terms of, of attention. And the attention of parents on an only child is a real double-edged sword that we have to be careful with. And there is no, there's no easy yardstick for this because – you want to be close with your kid. You want to be involved in your kid's life. You want to be really devoted. But at the same time, you don't want to shine too bright a light um, because it can be really oppressive. And it's interesting. There's a notion that only children feel incredible pressure from their parents. It turns out in the data that we tend to put that pressure on ourselves that it is less the parent saying, you know, you're my legacy, therefore you need to be a straight-A student and go to med school or whatever we imagine. It is so often self-inflicted that I think you have to think about what those roots are. If it's not a parent saying you have to be perfect, but it is a parent focusing everything on that kid, it mm-hmm. feels like a lot of pressure, um, even mm-hmm. if it's not overt pressure. And I think that when you use the word burden earlier in the show, it's a word that I I wish I had grabbed onto writing this book because it is such a good word to think about sort of the myriad downsides. And this is one of it, one of those downsides, that parental attention can be such a blessing and can also be such a burden. So that means, you know, leave your child alone. (laughs) Don't, you know, like be a little blasé about things sometimes. You can be loving and supportive and let your kid always know that he or she is in your mind but doesn't always have to be in the room, you know, doesn't have to be in front of you all the time. You know, when you you think about... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, when you think about how you must divide your attention between all of your children and what a healthy thing that can be for them, we have to find our own ways of doing that as parents of one. I, yeah, I keep I, I play around in my head with a with a book that needs to be written, and you know the 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 the, the joy or the uh, the the positive uh, of benign neglect. I, I truly <laughs> believe that children thrive on benign neglect, and I totally. I think I think that, and by having more than one child, it makes that easier. Now, this is not a top, this would not be a best-selling book, mind you, because our generation. Oh, I don't know. I think you might be not like on it. some publishing gold there. I think you should go write that. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. It's such a uh, it's such a counter uh, uh, counter way of being, you know. But uh, of of the of the of the attachment parenting world we live in. But I truly believe children need that. And I do think that that uh, having more than one makes it easier. But it doesn't make it impossible because, as you point out, this is a choice that a parent can make. 
that your child doesn't need, in fact, doesn't not only doesn't need, it's not good for your child to have your attention, you know, 24/7 or even your attention every hour that that you are with them if you work. Right. So And God yeah. forbid you curl up in bed and read a novel or have a conversation with your husband. I mean, honestly, yeah. practicing benign neglect can be good for everyone in the family. I Amen. Think. Amen. And I also think, quite frankly, it, it, uh, it, it's a wonderful example to, to show our kids. <laughs> but, uh, but nonetheless, uh, like I said, that, that will not be a, um, a major bestseller, that's for sure. Uh, I don't know. It might be. Well, there's one maybe. other thing, one other little tip I want to give. And I, I got yes. to admit, I am, as a journalist, you know, and not a parenting expert, I am so loath to give parenting tips. But I do feel like I developed some knowledge that is worth sharing. The one other thing that you really need to be mindful of is having your kid around other kids as much as possible. And, you know, sometimes it feels like, ugh, it's Saturday, I'm exhausted, a play date is the last thing I want to think about. That's your lot as a parent of an only child. It is up to you to make sure that your kid is around playmates, close friends, you name it, in classes if that's what's easier for you, but really just knocking around in someone's backyard as much as possible Um, because that is when all of that delicious social goodness develops in an only child. That's when they don't feel isolated. And so when they are alone, it can feel like lovely solitude. It is so, so, so important. And so, you know, for people who are raising only children in rural areas, it's a much bigger challenge. Um, For someone like me, you know, I'm in Brooklyn. My daughter has friends down the block. It's a piece of cake. We just pop in. We pop out. It's great. Um, Developing those relationships and really helping your kid nurture them and maintain them. You know, it doesn't have to be your kid's best friend all the time. It can be that you have a great friend who is a kid who is older or younger. Maybe they get mm-hmm. along. Maybe they don't. That's like having siblings. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, a good exactly. little dose of reality there. It's just really, really important that as much as you cherish your time just within your family, that you also get out there with your kid as much as possible. Um, and that, for some people, can be hard to do. But mm-hmm. I think well, that... Well, it has to be intentional be, anyway. Yeah, yeah. That's really all. you gotta, you got to be intentional. So you gotta, you got to not spoil your kid, not shine the light too bright, and make sure that your kid's out there with other kids. And that's pretty much... Those are kind of... Those are my three rules. <laughs> and if yeah. you get that down, you will have, you know, I think you'll have a pretty great kid. And frankly, you probably will anyway, so don't sweat it too much. <laughs> What a great note to end on. <laughs> and we have run out of time. Uh, one last plug, please go to the uh, Creating a Family directories when you're choosing your infertility or adoption service providers. You can find those on our website, creatingafamily.org. Uh, click on the word service directories, and it will take you right there. Also, one last plea, please, if you've enjoyed this show and want to help us grow, please rate it on iTunes. If you have iTunes on your computer or your phone, just type in the word creating a family. It will take you right there. If you don't use iTunes, whatever directory you use, just type in the words creating a family, and it can take you there as well. Um, or you can go to the radio page and click on, on our site uh, and click on the word iTunes, and it will take you there. And I would very much appreciate it. Thank you, Lauren Sandler. I enjoyed the book. Let me give the title again, One and Only, The Freedom of Having an Only Child and the Joy of Being One. It is an uplifting book. If you are wrestling with the decision, I strongly recommend that you get 
suggest a book. Um, it, it's not going to try to talk you into it one way or the other, but it helps give you permission to, if it, this is your choice, to do it with a glad and a happy heart, uh, having made the choice. Lauren, if people, of course, they can get it at their local bookseller. They can get it on Amazon. But if they wanted more information on you, um, you have a website. You want to give that uh, URL now? Sure. It's just www.laurensandler.com. I'm on Twitter at Lauren O. Sandler. It's my middle initial. And I love to hear from people. Um, so please don't be shy. Reach out, um, especially if you're dealing with anything. I'm, I'm here. And I love yeah. this conversation. I'm so appreciative of this. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. And and for anyone, I am going to be blogging on this. I am going to do the buzz, uh, include the BuzzFeed uh, video signs you uh, grew up as an only child, and uh, and I'll be blogging on this tomorrow. So we'll continue the conversation there. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thank you, audience. I will see you next week. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the. Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at you, savings coming at you. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what, man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.